0: Thank you for listening to a Sunday morning sermon from Christ Church of Orinoco. For more information about these sermons, or about Christ Church in general, visit us online at ccochurch.com. And now, here's this week's sermon. You'll open your Bibles to 1 Corinthians chapter 6, I'd like you to hold that open, and 1 Thessalonians 4. We're going to be in those two passages primarily this morning. And as you can see, we are going to be talking about friends, and I want you to pay attention to these terms, they matter. Friends who are sexually indiscriminate, who are thoughtless, or who aren't thinking on the right things they need to when it comes to their sexuality. For those of you visiting that weren't with us last week when Michael opened the series about talking about the relevancy of Scripture in a world that says it's not relevant, it makes no difference, it's an antique book, uh, we want to remind you that this series is not... How to win an argument? We're not preaching these messages so that you have enough stones to throw accurately and take out your enemy. This series is not how to win an argument. It's how to win the souls of our friends to the heart of our God, and that changes everything. We live in a world today where biblical teachings are thought of as archaic, out of touch, and even in the church they're thought of as optional. So, what word of hope do you and I have? For someone who's sexually indiscriminate, whether it's a believer in the church or it's an unbeliever outside of the church. But I want to say it one more time. The caveat is this. What we learned today is not to shame or belittle anybody in this room or outside of it, but it's to bring an awakening to a God who can be trusted. So let's talk about terms and the theology of our worldview when it comes to sexuality. Let's define two terms, sexuality or gender, and sex. Sexuality refers to all that makes us either male or female. It's our being. And sex refers to sexual expressions, both mental and physical, which is doing. The being and the doing. The combination of those two is instrumental for us to have a fair biblical conversation because we live in a culture where the doing and being are confused, People are defined today by who they're having sex with, which is never God's intention for you to be defined by an action such as that. But we live in a world that has amplified this so much that this is all we seem to care about another human being is what kind of sex they're having, how often, and with who, instead of understanding that they're far more than what they're doing, that they are a created being. You see, Jesus did not condemn sexuality, but the destructive misuse of it So I'm going to say something that drew crickets last hour. We are a pro-sex church. Three brave men, no women, and the kids are looking at their parents going, gross! No, we are a pro-sex church. Why? Because it's a gift from God. And let me show you why I believe that. Remember that if we go back to the book of Genesis, we uncover who we are. We discover what God's intentions for us are. And when we get that properly understood, then most everything the church even has said is, oh, it's not good, it's not good, it's not good, really can be proven it's good if it's used God's way. Genesis chapter 1, verse 26, God said, let us make man in our image and our likeness and let them rule over all creatures. So God created man in his own image, male and female he created them. God blessed them and he said to them, be fruitful and increase in number, fill the earth and subdue it. God knew that Adam would be hungry, so he gave him food. God knew that Adam would need a purpose, so he gave he and Eve dominion. God knew that Adam would need companionship, so he made a female, like him but unlike him, as a companion and a partner. You see, our physicality and our needs are not evil. We're living in a world that says, if it's a physical need, then it's not spiritual. Or, I'm spiritual, but there's no physical demonstration of my holiness. There's no physical demonstration of my service. And this is the error in our culture. We have divided the body and the soul as two separate, disconnected items, and they're not. And I want to redeem that today, because when we can show the world that their body and soul are not separate entities, we can actually speak to them a word of hope and life. God created gender, male and female. He created both for His purpose, for our purpose, and for His glory. So, what do we know? And I'm just going to give you four examples. What has the Bible said? If we're going to be a pro-sex church, and I hope we are, here's just four things the Bible teaches us about this. Now, as I discuss this, you're going to see this number posted up on the screen. If you want to text questions in, I promise you we're not searching a database to find out who texted us what. You can be anonymous. Michael and I will process some questions at the end of the morning, each hour, and we're also going to be answering some of these online if they take Longer time to respond than we have uh, this morning, so feel free to respond if you have questions that come up in our discussion. One of the things the Bible teaches is that sex is for oneness. The Bible says in Genesis two twenty four, for this reason, a man will leave his father and mother, be united to his wife, and they will become one flesh. Now, this means an intimate, loving giving of one's uh, self to another person. Unfortunately, our culture has taken oneness and allowed it to be a momentary, an evening, a weekend tryst, instead of what the Bible calls it to be. It also says sex is for procreation. We know this. One, just one of the ways we demonstrate the image-bearing of God is our ability, a man and a woman, to create life, just like God did. It says in Genesis 1.28, be fruitful and multiply and increase in number. Adam and Eve were told, produce children that will fill this earth I've given you to mankind. Sex is for pleasure. You can't read the Song of Solomon in the Old Testament and conclude anything but sex God has given us is socially, physically, and emotionally satisfying. And sex is for protection. 1 Corinthians 7, 9. But if they cannot control themselves, it is better to marry than to burn with passion. God gave us marriage as a safe place to protect us so that our sexuality can be demonstrated with the gift of sex in a monogamous relationship with someone we're married to. The Bible says in Genesis 2 that when Adam and Eve were created, they were naked and had no shame. Then sin entered the story in Genesis 3, and they instantly uncovered their nakedness or discovered their nakedness, and they felt shame. Notice what sin does. It takes a good thing God's given us, and it turns it into a shameful thing. Now, the world will say, no, the church is what makes it shameful. It's the church that's making sex with whoever has it. They're making it a bad thing. No, you have to understand. If you really believe in a creator of God, then you believe that the things God put in place before sin are the way things ought to be. And when we understand that, then we understand that sex used God's way is not shameful. Sex used outside of God's way is Michael DeFazio said something interesting to me Uh, in between services. I always give him my sermon and he rewrites it. And one of the things he said was, he said what's interesting about the four points we brought up about sex is for oneness, procreation, pleasure, and protection. One of the interesting things about that is if you're having sex outside of God's plan, you can actually accomplish two or three of those. But not for long. And you'll never be able to accomplish all four of them. Which is what it was created to bring you You see, when willfulness reigns, then sexual sins begin and we diminish the gift of sex and we try to bring empty solutions to fill our souls. That's why I want to have this conversation today. How do we address a world that is so sex-saturated? There is absolutely nothing in our culture today that doesn't have sex as the underlying running gag. Watch television, even watch the commercials on a sporting event. And you'll find over and over, we are an over-sex culture trying to fill our souls with something that does not last. But remember, we're a pro-sex church, right? As awkward as that was? So how do we redeem one of the greatest things God's given us without allowing the world to trash it? See, how does our culture seek, see sexuality? Let's just look. Paul addresses it in 1 Corinthians 6. If you'll keep those Bibles to that, First Corinthians 6, verse 13. Paul uses an expression from culture. He says, Food for the stomach and the stomach for food, but God will destroy them both. The body is not meant for sexual immorality, but for the Lord, and the Lord for the body. Now jump down to verse 16. Do you not know that he who unites himself with the prostitute is one with her in body? Let's pause. I want him to leave the words on the screen, because right now it would be really easy for you to dismiss Paul's argument by saying, "Well, I've never been with a prostitute. I don't know anybody who's ever been with a prostitute. I've never even seen a prostitute. So this argument doesn't fit for us today. No, no. Understand this: A prostitute is someone who gives you sex for a moment to satisfy you for some gain that they gain. It doesn't have to be cash. I believe the culture that's going on in our world today is sex is just sex and whoever wants to have sex can have sex as long as it makes both people feel good. There's no problem with it, right? That by definition is prostitution. Using another person for your own personal satisfaction? So let's not dismiss Paul's terminology when his concept is sound. He goes on and says, For it is said the two will become one flesh, but he who unites himself with the Lord is one with him in spirit. Flee from sexual immorality. All other sins a man commits are outside his body, but he who sins sexually against his own body. Do you not know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit who is in you, whom you've received from God? You are not your own. You were bought at a price. Therefore, honor God with your body. The world says to us this, sex is just an appetite. You know, if you're hungry, you eat. If you want sex, just have sex. It's not a big deal. It's not... If it's two consenting adults are doing it, it's not a big deal. Why does the church have any say in this, and why are they making this a big deal? Paul says, food for the stomach and the stomach for food. That's the argument. It's just an appetite. But Paul then says, and God will destroy both. The appetite and the body will not last. So why are we investing our future in something that we realize is so temporary? Every one of us was born a sexual creature. No matter how much you want to repress it, you were born sexualized. This is the way God did it. And sex was his gift for the expression of that in a proper, safe environment. But we have idolized sex. Just watch television. And I know some of you say, well, that's why I don't watch television. Well, then read the newspaper. Go on your internet. See a movie. Our culture is constantly hammering us that who you sleep with makes you who you're supposed to be. I don't believe that for a second. If sex was so awesome and it made everybody wise, joyful, and happy, then why are sex addictions on the rise and people are more unhappy? I could take you to our counselors at Haven Counseling and tell you that sex is one of the core problems that is devastating homes, marriages, and people's lives. This great gift of God, and it is, is being ruined by our use of it outside of God's instructions. It's devastating people's lives. And God will destroy both the body and the appetite. Too many have tried to separate their body from their soul and they suffer for it. So remember, we're not trying to be right to win an argument. We're trying to understand why God would give us this gift and how come it's become something it was never meant to be. The world also says that sexuality is a weakness. Paul says it in 1 Corinthians 7, it is good for a man not to touch a woman. He's talking about the fact that so many people have turned it into something more than it is, that you actually don't need to have sex to be a whole human being. That, yes, you are a sexualized creature, but there's a fulfillment for that even outside of sex. We talked about that in our message on singleness a few weeks ago. But unfortunately, in our culture, some people have decided sex is only for the weak and needy. In marriages, it's used as a weapon, it's used as a reward. If he's good and if he treats me right, then. Or she owes me that because I provide. And church, we need to repent of that, don't we? Because we're hearing the message of the world and we're not hearing the message of the Lord. And I want us so much to hear God's words of mercy so we have a word of hope to those who don't understand it. So how does God see sexuality? First of all, our sexuality forms us. It's a spiritual formation for all of us. Back to 1 Corinthians 6, verse 15. Do you not know that your bodies are members of Christ himself? Shall I then take the members of Christ and unite them with the prostitute? Never. Do you not know that he who unites himself with the prostitute is one with her in body? For it is said the two will become one flesh. The key to this whole passage is our understanding of the word flesh. If you think it just means a physical body and that the picture of oneness is basically insertion and two human bodies becoming one through the sexual act of insertion, If that's what you're thinking of, then you have to answer the question, is that the only way the word flesh is used in the scriptures? This word is also used for personhood, embodiment. So if you want to define sex as simply a physical act, then you can look at this passage and go, well, then I'm one with a lot of people. But if you see it the way Paul uses it, that you have become one embodied human being together with this person, it changes the casual nature of sex the way our cultures defined it. See, sex in any circumstance is designed to bring two people into an inseparable embodiment. Dr. Timothy Keller says, Sex was God's invented way for you to give yourself to someone else so deeply that it results in personal and spiritual transformation. You cannot... I think the word casual sex is one of the greatest oxymorons ever stated. As if something so intimate and pure to your soul can be casual and thrown away on a weekend. The culture we live in celebrates that it's natural to give your body and you don't even have to give your soul. You know, Mark, it's just sex. Well, the way we're using it is. But what it actually is is something so much more profound because it forms us. It forms us toward God or it breaks us and ruins our form, which is the reaction of what takes place in our culture when sex is run rampant and made a god. Lives are devastated. They're not made better. And most people that I talk to who have issues with this, sex is simply a a drug they're taking to get through a rough period of time and end up more empty at the end than they ever were at the beginning. So it not only forms us, but our sexuality prepares us. Verse 17, Paul says, But he who unites himself with the Lord is one with him in spirit. Once again, Paul is saying that you cannot separate the body from the soul. They're combined. In John chapter 4, you all might remember the story. If not, I encourage you to read it. In John chapter 4, Jesus meets a woman at the well who's looking for some water. Or he says to you, would you give me some water? And she's drawing in the middle of the heat of the day because she she doesn't want to be judged by her neighbors. And Jesus begins to talk to her about her sexuality. He says, so you're with this sixth man. You've had five husbands. This guy's not even, he won't even marry you. Why does he go after her sexuality right away? Because he's a prude? Absolutely not. What he's saying to her is, you're trying to fill your soul with something that only includes your body. He says, you can't. He said, I'll give you a drink, and you'll never thirst again. Remember that line. Jesus is able to prepare us for a relationship with him that will be more satisfying than any physical act can take. But let me pause here for a moment. For some of you, you become more and more uncomfortable. I've said the word sex way too much for any preacher. Replace it with alcohol. Replace it with drugs. Replace it with power or money, achievement or fame, and the principle still applies, doesn't it? You're trying to fill your soul with something that does not fit your soul. The only thing that fits our soul is reconnected back to our God who created us and formed us to be exactly what He wants us to be. You see, you cannot have intimacy with God and maintain independence. And for many of us, we're trying to have sex independent of our soul, and the creator God did not build us as machines. We are people inhabited by the image of God, and we devastate ourselves when we take sex away from the gift it was and turn it into something else. So what are the implications of sexuality? How are we going to answer the question of our friends who are indiscriminately sexual with no thought to what they're doing to themselves? First Thessalonians, if you'll turn to chapter 4. 1 Thessalonians 4 is a passage I want to conclude with today. Paul says, For this is the will of God, your sanctification, that you abstain from sexual immorality. See, we live in a world today that says, no, the words used in the New Testament, they they don't mean what they say they mean. It's no longer. You know, this fornication thing is old time. This adultery thing is old time. You know, all of these issues about our sexuality. We'll go back to Michael's message last week. Is the Bible relevant? I believe the Bible's... The question is not, does the Bible mean what it says? The question has come down to whether or not we think it's relevant. And each one of us must decide for ourselves whether or not God meant what God said. And I tend to believe he did. And I'm betting my life on it, in fact. How about you? That what God means is what God said, and what God said is good for everybody. You see, the Bible tells us to flee sexual immorality. And the Greek word for immorality is this word pornēa, where we get the word Pornography or porn, but it's not just visual. Listen to what it's, it is. It means that any illicit sexual act, any illicit sexual, anything outside of what God created it for, the misuse of it is what he's addressing. So the biblical worldview of sex is not just an appetite and not that it's a weakness that we must respond to. The Word of God tells us there is a blessed context when it's right, used the way God wants it to, it is the most beautiful coming together of two people, in intimacy both physically and in their souls. 1 Thessalonians three or 4, 3 and 4. That you abstain from sexual immorality, that each of you know how to take a wife for himself in holiness and honor. It's more than a physical act. Paul says there are two contexts. One is right and one is wrong. It is not before marriage... It is not with another person during a marriage. It's between two people who have chosen to come together in holiness before the Lord and experience an intimacy. Remember, you can have some of the experiences of sex in the physical act, but you'll not get the completion of it if you separate the soul from the body. So how dare I stand up and say to the world that the Bible says that sex is for marriage only? And I'll give you the theology of it. Sex is for marriage only because it's the only place sex can do everything it's meant to do, period. That's why sex is for marriage only. Now, please understand this. We are not, I don't want to live anymore in a world where people say, well, the church just doesn't want us to have fun. Absolutely not. Did I tell you we're a pro-sex church? Did I mention that already? Awkwardly five times? Okay. Okay. See, if our only message to the world is you're not to have sex because it's filthy, you're not to have sex because it's fun, you're not to have sex because of this, this, and this, we are misappropriating our opportunity. God has told us not to participate in something that separates our body from our soul. And that's what sex outside of marriage does, church, by the word of God itself. And that's why we're to be cautious and speak and offer love. We're not here to win an argument. We're trying to protect the ones we love. So there is a blessed context. And there is a blessed purpose. 1 Thessalonians 4, 5. Not in the passion of lust like heathens who do not know God. I want to focus on this. Like heathens who don't know God. You see, it's hard for us to believe in the world we live today that anybody has the right to tell somebody else not to find satisfaction. The world is saying to the church over and over, you're out of date, you're on the wrong side of history. Really? I think when Jesus comes back, we're going to be on the right side of history. And I'd like to have a few more people join us, wouldn't you? Not because we're superior, because if we're going to be saved by the mercy of God, not by how everybody else thought we were so open and free and available. So we have this. Because we receive something, a feeling, closeness, or companionship from our disobedience does not mean that validates it. Let me just pose a logical argument to you. Imagine, if you have one in your world, thank God for it. If not, imagine that a little six-year-old precious boy or girl comes up to you that you love very deeply. And they walk up to you and say, mommy, daddy, or aunt so-and-so, or uncle so-and-so, or grandma or grandpa, and they walk up to you and say, hey, is it okay, at six years of age, is it okay that I have sex with whoever I want to? Or can I have sex with whoever wants to have sex with me? What would you respond? Sure, we're Americans. No one's got any right to take away. You do whatever you want, honey. Absolutely not. See, you're mortified by this argument. What does the age change about the truth? To say to a person, no, because sex is so much more than a physical act between two people who in a moment are attracted. Sex is about combining your body and your soul with one person in a committed relationship to discover what true intimacy is, just like Jesus wants to have with us. See, because we know what's God's best for us. But he says, not in the passion of lust like heathen who don't know God. And this struck me. This is it. This is the struggle we're all having with this issue. is It's, do we know God? You see, having an argument with a person who's just out to feel good, this argument's not going to work with them because they don't know God and why do people in the church continue to worship and worship but have sexual affairs and are cheating on their spouse and some of us even possibly in this room today are involved in illicit sexual activity that you know is wrong but it's the only thing that's giving you any feeling and so you're holding on to it he's Paul says it's because you're you're not connected with God now, now I'm not trying to be offensive I'm trying to wake you up it's not knowing facts about God There are theologians who know a bunch of what the Bible says about God who have been in illicit sexual affairs for a long, long time. Knowing about God isn't what we're talking about. Do you understand the difference between knowing about Him and knowing Him? Finding a depth of satisfaction in Jesus Christ that no physical relationship can give you. Knowing who you are in His eyes so you're not justified by whether or not you have a sexually active relationship. It can even be going into the depths of this Because you know God, you'll find a satisfaction that nothing else in this life will give you. No drug, no power, no possession, and no person. And then when you have the knowledge of God, you can actually practice your sexuality in a way that's not just fulfilling to you, but also fulfilling to your spouse. The sexual biblical ethic is this. You do not separate your body from your soul it can't be done. First Thessalonians 4, 7, and 8. For God has not called us for uncleanness, but in holiness. Therefore, whoever disregards this, disregards not man, but God, who gives the Holy Spirit to you. Paul answers one of the criticisms of the text when Paul says, no, no, you're not just arguing with man and philosophy. We, we are. Listen, the church, I, I will not preach, I promise you, I will not preach a message In the entirety of my ministry, every time I do this, I realize this will be the most contentious message I bring to a church because we live in a world that goes, that's ridiculous. How dare you tell people they can't do with their bodies what they want to do with their bodies? No, I didn't say you can't. I said you shouldn't. We can't legislate morality. But you and I can offer to the people we love hope, can't we? We can say to them, I know this makes you feel good for a moment, but how lonely and empty do you feel when it's all said and done and that person you've just interacted with at whatever level that was, when they've left you and gone away, then how do you feel then? Is that the satisfaction you wanted? What good word do we have to offer to a world that's turned their body into a tool to make their heart feel good when their heart ends up feeling empty? There is an overemphasis on what makes us feel good or meets physical needs with disrespect to the entirety of the person who inhabits that body. I want the church to be able to say to their friends, not in a judgmental tone, but with the same mercy that God showed us, I want us to be able to say to our neighbors, no, I'm asking you not to participate in illicit sex because it's a poison it's killing your soul. Even though for a few moments it makes you physically feel okay. It doesn't last. I know this is awkward, and my brothers and I were talking one day around the house, and we were being rude and gross, and boys, and that didn't make it okay, it was wrong. My grandfather was in the house, and we didn't know he was there, and he heard us. My grandfather asked me one question I've never forgotten. He asked all of us, and we were humiliated. He said, boys, if, if sex is so awesome, how come you have to do it over and over and over again? And we were like, ick, grandpa, Stop. But he posed a question for me. You can't make an idol that disappoints you, can you? And isn't that sex for most people? It's overinflated in Hollywood. And the reality of it is it's pretty empty if there's not closeness and and beauty and unity that follows with it. Galatians 5.13, the Apostle Paul wrote these words. You, my brothers, were called to be free, but do not use your freedom to indulge the sinful nature. Paul knew what we would do with grace, We'd say, it gives me license. Jump to verse 19. The acts of the sinful nature are obvious. Sexual immorality, impurity, debauchery, idolatry and witchcraft, hatred, discord, jealousy, fits of rage, selfish ambition, dissension, factions and envy, drunkenness, orgies and the like. I warn you as I did before that those who live like this will not inherit the kingdom of God. The series is not how right we are. The series is truly about how loving we are, how merciful we are. We were asked this question last week. People phoned in and they said, would, would a couple who have same-sex attraction be welcome in our church? My response will always be this, absolutely. Sit next to the haters, sit next to the liars, sit next to the broken, sit next to the addicted. Come join all of us because this isn't a perfect place. But understand this no matter what your sin, no matter what you're trying to fill your soul with that is not of the Lord, our goal as a ministry is to raise up the vision of who God is so those things become less important and we choose greater things. Amen? So if you come in your drunkenness, if you come in your sexual immorality, if you come in your greed and your hatred and your selfishness, you are welcome here, but we won't let you stay there. We're not going to say it's okay. What we're going to say is, God is bigger than your sin. Let the big God know him. Live for him. And allow him to take away the hunger. Allow him to take away the appetite. Allow him to take away the addiction. We can't fix you. Jesus Christ can. So what good word do we have for people who struggle with the selfish sin of sexual immorality? We have a God who can replace that hunger and satisfy it at a greater level. Amen, church? So this morning, awkward? Yeah, try living where I've been for two weeks. So what do we do? I know right now there's couples who stopped holding hands because this reminded them of one of the worst moments in their marriage. And I know there's some people in this room who no longer have a partner because of sexual immorality. And I know that there are some people that have hidden sins in their closet that they just wish. They're so full of shame, so broken. And I'm dumb enough to say, why don't you come and be prayed with? And you're going, are you kidding? I'm not walking across that hallway. Everybody will know. Do you want to be free? Because if you truly want to be free, you don't care what anybody else thinks. You only care what Jesus thinks. And we want to pray and guide you through the word of God because we believe being set free is what Jesus Christ wants you to become. And he wants to fill that hunger in your soul with something that will last. That's the Jesus we worship. That's the good, good Father who offers us hope. Amen? Let's stand together. Thank you for listening to a Sunday morning sermon from Christ Church of Orinoco. For more information about these sermons or about Christ Church in general, visit us online at ccochurch.com.